Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. All right, there we go. Hey, everybody, welcome to Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast, David and Nikki Nellis. Coming to you from our glassed-in studio here in the lobby of the fabulous, trendy Lux Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C., uh, we have a great show tonight. We're going to be talking about a... It's not really nighttime. It's kind of daytime. Okay. It looks like daytime. And feels like the daytime. contradictions start already. Yes. And <laughs> welcome saying. to my marriage. Yes. And here we go. Okay. Sean, there's your answer. We're going to be talking in a minute about Rockland's Farm, which is a, uh, a, I, it's like a mushrooming miracle out in Poolsville, Maryland. It's a great place. We'll give you all the story. Uh, we've got uh, Greg and Anna Glenn here um, and Sean Eubank. Uh, uh, who will be talking to us about it. But first, the master of mixology, Todd Thrasher, is here. He's like, I'm a bartender. Yeah, and your microphone's not on, dude. Yeah. Not on? Ah, yeah. Yeah, because it sounds like you're coming in from the restroom. Come on over here. Take my mic. Are you in the restroom? There we go. Take his mic. There I'm is. getting ready to go. There right we now. go. Hi. <laughs> so what'd you bring us today? So today, uh, from the Line Hotel, mm-hmm. this is, um, you know, we do the three-part cocktail menu. So cocktails I come up with, the uh, ones... From Love, Life, Music, Amitora, then we have the ones, the classic American cocktails, and then I have one where, you know, my whole idea about doing this hotel bar is us in D.C., we don't really go to hotel bars. You know, we go to, we kind of go to mom and pop shops, uh, independent restaurants. D.C. is not really a hotel bar place. Until now. Until now, right. So I've always loved hotel bars. So I did that one section. It's called Homage to uh, Hotel Bars. Um, cocktails inspired by other hotels. So this is a cocktail that comes from the most bombed hotel in the world, the Merchant Hotel in Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, so when you say bombed, bombed, bombed. right? Like no, yeah, no. Blown up. The IRA <laughs> used to blow it up all the time, right? right? Yeah, so it used to get it makes a hotel the David in Tel Aviv look like a piker, right? right? It, 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 or a pikey, either one. Um, so this this cocktail is called the Finn McCool. And it is a uh, cocktail that one of the bartenders, I think his name's Hayden Lambert, uh, made up. And it's it's only been around for about 10 years. And it has become the most popular cocktail here at Brothers and Sisters at the Line Hotel. It's um, passion fruit, mm-hmm. uh, lemon juice, tonic water. And then I use um, a local, well, not a local vodka. I use a vodka made by one of my friends um, from Kansas City, Missouri. His name's Ryan Maybe. It's Missouri. It, it is not. I'm from there. It's Call Missouri. me Maybe. Call me Baby Maybe. <laughs> uh, and it's called uh, Rieger's Kansas City style vodka, mm-hmm. and then I use a, a Southern Amaro from Highwire Distilling from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. It's lovely. So yeah. you could say this drink is the bomb. It, it could be. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you could, you, you wouldn't, could, but you I'm right, not. Right? No, no idiot. Okay, you need and a then new sidekick. can we just add one more time that Mr. Thrasher is going to be Potomac opening up a distillery company. at the wharf? That's right. When does that open? Uh, you know, soon. Okay. Soon-ish. Yeah. Soon-ish, yeah. Potomac Distilling Company. maybe. Hashtag make rum. That's like when war. Nikki was begging me to marry her. I said, soon, soon. Right. Yeah. Have you seen like the that. smokestack? Huh? Have you Not seen the yet. smokestack? I have to go no? see it. It's pretty amazing. Cool. I cannot wait. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you all. Have fun. Right. We love Thank what you, you do, too. Thank you all very much. Great. Thank you. All right. All right. So, so the long and short of it is that about 33 years ago, when we started going out to a we, uh, well, when I me. started going yes. out to a place called Homestead Farms, I wasn't there. Pump, right, I was not born yet. Picking, Thank you, Todd. What thirty-three years ago? Right. Anyways, I, we would pass. We would cross this little bridge, go over this beautiful little meandering creek, and go past this. It, it looks like an antebellum house, but it was a house that was clearly built eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. It was a little rundown, and I kept saying to it myself, was a little rundown. <laughs> I gotta buy that place. That place is awesome. Well, I didn't. But the Glenn family did, mm-hmm. and they've turned Rockland's Farm into this multifaceted offering, but always kind of back to and well, from the Well, but I earth. think what, what is really necessary to say is that we started stopping there on our way to Homestead? Homestead. Homestead yeah. Farms, which is like a huge place for people to go pick pumpkins, right? Didn't I just say that? No, you didn't say the pumpkin part. No, I said You pumpkins. just said you went out there. I said pumpkins. So, um, 
But over, like, in the last 10 years, really, we started stopping at Rocklands, too, because every year the farm grew. There was new offerings all the time. So I'm so excited to have you all here in the studio with us because we've always loved what you do. And it's grown from just a little farm stand with some eggs and some vegetables to a fabulous flower business, an incredible wedding and event venue, fabulous wine and event cheap, space. I mean, pork, right. Name it. You've got so much going on. So I kind of want to start at the beginning and I feel like we have to start Greg with you because your fam your family bought a farm, right? So mom and a- dad bought a farm. Let's start there. And you were living in Bethesda. I mean, we're we're doing all your talking for you. So I'll let you but You're you were doing Bethesda all the talking kid for him. at Whitman, right? Yeah, Not a farmer. Yep. Yeah. So I grew up here in um, in Bethesda. Our family moved here in 1992, um, and my dad was working for the Walter Reed Medical Center doing some medical research. And just like you guys, we loved driving out to the Ag Reserve of Montgomery County, out to Homestead Farm, um, Yupik, mm-hmm. Pumpkin Patch, stuff like that. So we just fell in love with it as well. Um, and in 2003 is when we, as a family, moved out to Rocklands. And my dad had a vision for... Wait, was it already called Rocklands? Actually, Did yeah. it have a name? Uh, it didn't have the name at the time, but it was just a, a residence. But mm-hmm. as Sean and I dug into it the first year, we actually found that was the original name of the farm. Okay. So that's why we named it Rocklands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so my dad had a vision for his family for his kids and grandkids to come and to gather and to call that home as a family um so he the he, tribal watering he home. always wanted you know, it's a small place you know just out in the countryside for that to happen but and how many acres was it is uh, it it's 34 acres okay mm-hmm. that's so, a big small place. that's a big small place for around here <laughs> sure. yeah but uh that was the i would say that was the original seed um as to why our family moved out there okay um just to have some space to enjoy as a family and um, the first, you know, seven years, we just lived there. <clears throat> we tidied it up a little bit, fixed up the house a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really do a whole lot of, of full-on farming um, until so, 2010. So, okay, so before the farming started, but there's all these structures yeah. already on the land. So were you kind of cleaning those up as well or were you like oh this is just charming we have these beautiful like barn-like structures here yeah I mean my folks um, they have a strong affinity to for historical preservation so they just fell in love with the beauty of the place the beauty of the structures they just personally wanted to take care of it you know Mm -hmm. often when you drive down the roads and in the farm areas you just see a lot of barns falling over Right. And so for them, they really just wanted to capture that and, and to preserve that. So. All right. So Anna's your wife. We're going to hear about that in a minute. But uh, did you find Sean growing on the property? Yeah, where'd Sean come yeah. from? Where'd he come from? <laughs> I plucked him from a tree right. and he became Sean. Uh, so right after our family moved out there, I went off to college down at Virginia Tech. And um, I think in that first year is when Sean and I met. Uh, we were good friends throughout college. We were roommates for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I would say that halfway through college, um, I had two inspirations that drew me towards farming, one of which was meeting Sean, who was uh, working at a local farmer's market for an infamous farmer named Farmer Ron, and um, just was really attracted to where food comes from, how it's made to be food. Um, And then Sean also has a personal background through his family on kind of the culinary arts and really have an appreciation for really good food, which myself, growing up, you know, we just, we ate, you know, casseroles and hot pockets and things like that. And I love... Green giant. Yeah. yeah. I, love, I mean, I love my childhood. I didn't have a, you know, artisanal food background, but um, just something about how Sean approached food and the craft of it was really inspiring to me. So. Well, so let's get into that, Sean. I sure. mean, what was your culinary background or your family culinary's background that sort of developed your palate? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in Virginia Beach, and okay. uh, Greg and I were in the same class at Virginia Tech, and, um, you know, it, we were, it's, it's pretty simple. We just were a family that uh, my dad did most of the cooking, but both of my parents cooked, and we just loved talking and conversing over food so mm-hmm. we just sat down at the table for dinner every night and I mean I was that, there a focus on like did he go to 
you know, farm stands and no, not not really. I mean, my my grandfather, who we named one of our um, my my son after, um, he was a rural veterinarian in Southwest Virginia, so we already had roots to the area where my mom grew up, mm-hmm. uh, not too far from Virginia Tech. And he kind of, I think, imparted to the rest of the family just kind of an appreciation for where things come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of always, you know, a part of it. And then just, you know, just being around, you know, carefully prepared food that um, meant something and it was associated with people and community and family. That just really, um, you know, made an impression on me. And, you know, I was the kid that, you know, probably was in sophomore in college and you're like, why are you spending an hour cooking dinner? Like, right. we're, that's not what we're doing. You and I were very yeah. similar. Like, I let's get high. I, Why are we? <laughs> but no, I mean, so in college, when I was in a dorm room, I had a toaster oven, which you weren't supposed to have, right. and I had a hot plate, which you also weren't supposed to have, because I was like, I'm cooking. She was making beef Wellington. I was the... entertaining in my dorm room. I was cooking dinners and baking cakes and doing whatever I wanted to do because. Food is very important to me, and feeding people is very important right. to me. And while I'm not in the culinary world in that way, I do love to entertain, and I love, obviously, the industry that I'm in, so I get to tell people about right. it, like, tonight. So what I want to know is, is that, okay, so you both go to Virginia Tech, and do you both decide that you want to be in agriculture? I mean, how did, where did that part come from? I think it was, um, like Greg alluded to, um, kind of in just searching out good ingredients, we inevitably discovered the farmer's market in Blacksburg, which is just a small but vibrant community of growers. And we could probably do an hour long show just on this guy, Farmer Ron. Mm-hmm. He was a big inspiration to both of us. Um, just a, a farmer from rural. Was he ja- just Jalska. a vegetable farmer? What kind of farmer yeah, are we just, talking about? Just a vegetable farmer. But mm-hmm. I think what made the difference with him and was so inspirational was he was, he was a storyteller. So he would tell the story behind um, whether it was food that he grew and the variety maybe of the heirloom variety, how it came you know, from hundreds of years and the seed was passed down, mm-hmm. or you know, he was representing an, a local apple orchard. And, and I think that that really made an impression because it's more than just a tomato. It's, it's this heirloom Cherokee purple it's tomato that actually has a story. Right. right. And so, and so I think that there was that. You're like 23 and me for vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Greg studied agriculture. I was studying uh, business. Okay. Um, so we kind of came at it from a couple of different, um, well, different ways. Let me just pop in. So, Greg, were you studying agriculture because you thought my parents have this farm and I want to do something with it? What were you, what, what was your goal at that point? Yeah, so I went to school thinking I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. Um, I really enjoyed working with my hands and solving problems and creating something productive. Um, quickly found out that I was not, you know, set to be an engineer. Math. For a number of reasons. Um, All right, quick, how much is two plus two? Right, math. Was math the problem? That and, would be my um, problem. And I stumbled into this really small department within the ag school uh, called ag, um, agriculture and applied economics and mm-hmm. they had an international development program that was really attractive to me essentially came with a big list of classes that i wanted to take and said with this fit for this major mm-hmm. um, so that's what initially started it and then halfway through school i spent a couple weeks um, on a farm out in kenya where my aunt and uncle were working and really saw how Farming and agriculture can bring together a community and create value for for the people there and and just draw out beauty and bring people together. And so that really galvanized it for me. So I came back, took a little more hard, a serious look at my studies um, and pursued that. But really, it wasn't until uh, six months after graduating that the idea of having a farm or being a farmer really came together. So before then, the last couple of years of school, it was just an interest in, you know, where food comes from, how it's made, and, you know, for me to work with my hands and to draw out life and beauty was, you know, that was the inspiration. But there was no right. Okay, so wait, let's wait. Well, I want to know where Anna came from. Wait, we're not at on. We're not at her yet. You're coming. You're later. But so, okay, six months after graduation, I just want to know, like, when's the light bulb? And yeah. you're like, my parents have this piece of property, and yeah. I can... There's already a barn here. I mean, everything is like, it's like foreshadowing. Like, we can see what's coming. But so what was the light bulb where you were like, I'm calling Sean, we're going to have a farm. Like, when did that happen? Yeah, so um, 
right after graduating, um, I actually turned down uh, an apprenticeship at Polyface Farm with Joel Salatin sure. because I was working in Roanoke with uh, various refugee families from um, Somalia and Eritrea and Rwanda. They had a great program there, and I, I felt that, that was more important than pursuing farming. And then that winter, um, must have been around Christmas time, that uh, for whatever reason the refugee pro- program kind of closed down and so I was hmm. looking back into it, an internship of some sort and I'm not exactly sure maybe Sean could fill in where he fit in but that winter was essentially talking to my folks saying hey I'd like to go and find a farm to go work for for you know a year or two and get my hands dirty and my dad just casually said you know why don't you you and Sean just come and try it here um, and just see how it goes and you know for him it was you know, hey, come just live here for a Stay year home. and see what happens. And, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not exactly sure when or how I called Sean, but maybe you could fill that in. Yeah, I was actually in a similar situation looking for um, an internship in agriculture because working at the farmer's market or for Greg, you know, and the books in the agriculture, we didn't actually know how to do anything. Right. Um, so so I really wanted to just learn how, how it works, you know, how to grow food and um, ultimately apply that either to a farm or to selling food one day. But I just knew I wanted to be in food in some, uh, in some way. So while I was, I was actually about to take an internship at a farm uh, not too far from Polyface in Stanton, Virginia. And that's when Greg and I connected and he said, hey, I think we might have an opportunity here. And kind of in addition to farming, I just have a passion for small business. I come from a, a family that has um, small businesses throughout many generations, and um, that's why I studied finance to kind of have you know that that knowledge and background. So that opportunity to do that and to have an opportunity to create something out of nothing was something that w- couldn't be turned down. And I would be remiss to to not mention the third originator of Rockland's Farm, our friend Nick Wilson, who is also a roommate of mine. He was an architecture student at Virginia Tech, and mm-hmm. he, did, he did his final thesis at Rockland's farm. He would kind of reimagine some of the different buildings. And then the summer before we started Rockland's, he and his architecture friend um, were the first, you know, farm interns, I guess you could say, at Rockland's, and they built some stone walls and some stone patios. So uh, that winter, you know, Sean and I reached out to him and said, hey, would you be interested in coming along for the first year? Mm-hmm. And he was the one that actually built the the original um, farm stand structure down by the mailbox. Okay. Um, so that was his piece in the, in the farm was he, he did some of the, he redid the barn floors and things like that. So some of the architecture and structural things. So he was a part of it. And then he uh, I think after that first year, he moved on for a career in architecture. So. Okay, so, I mean, that's fascinating. And you just, like, it's like all the stars sort of aligned at the right moment. But as you guys decided, okay, we're going to get into farming, how did you decide, how did you decide on what fruits and vegetables? This? Yeah, where are we? What year this is, is this? Uh, January of 2010. Okay, that makes sense. So how did you decide we're going to do fruits and vegetables or... But now you, I mean, as you've grown, like what was the progression? Yeah. So when we, when we started out you know, in January, we kind of pitched a plan to my folks and said, hey, we think that uh, a farmer's market, a roadside stand and a small CSA would be a great way to start. Okay. And Sean had, you know, really, he gotten involved enough in the produce world that he felt comfortable in taking on certain varieties and what would do well at different parts of the season. Um, and he had the concept of how farmers markets function well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CSA was just, it's a, a membership program that people buy in at the beginning of the year. They give you money to plant your seeds. And then throughout the season, you give them a portion of the harvest. Right. And so we felt that wouldn't, that wasn't too hard to tackle. And, you know, we were just so blessed with, with a lot of, uh, family friends in the area who, well, I was going to say, I mean, what's the community like in Poolsville? I mean, were there already a lot of places uh, to get a CSA yeah, or no, was there, not so much. did it work? And, and frankly, it was mostly from f- family friends um, down kind of in the Bethesda area who we initially, Sean had some contacts as well, just some families he knew in the area. Mm-hmm. So basically our CSA was probably 20 or 30 families who essentially just felt bad for us <laughs> and signed up. And then we had a, a great uh, farmer's Say market. Say goodbye to this money, honey. And, what, yeah. and where was the first farmer's market that you brought your produce to? Uh, that was in Potomac Village, about 15 minutes from us. And okay. again, we're just so fortunate to be so close to the city. A lot of the 
farmer friends that we met there were coming down from Pennsylvania right, and Gettysburg. Far, and right? Pretty far, and you know, we're driving 10, 15 minutes down the road. Um, but we just felt the farmer's market at that time um, was a really growing scene. So we felt like that was well, a great place to be. It totally was. And still, I mean, yeah, still 10 is. years ago, there were like five or six farmer's markets around the D.C. market. And now there's well over 50. Yeah. So the farmer's market scene is is, is a thriving business yeah, and I model. Think it, I think it's just a testament to people really wanting to know the people behind the food that that is being grown and well, raised. Yeah, and people are becoming more just in general, and they want to know what's in their food. And yeah, so you can, you know, as the farmer hands you your bag of potatoes or your dozen eggs, you can ask certain questions, and they can give you really interesting, nuanced answers on, oh, have you tried ground cherries yet? This is something that's growing right now. Or have you had garlic scapes? We, there's only one week in the year that we right, can harvest that. Right, you can get that. them, right. And people really appreciate it. So it's really that relationship that's the main driver behind that, that style. The thing that Greg... I remember uh, talked about a lot was um, this concept of a handshake and being able to shake the hand of the person who grew your food. Mm -hmm. And so we really latched onto that. Everything from, you know, are you, how do you grow in this way? Do we trust you? And it's just like, is it is a face to face eye contact handshake? You know, that should be enough. Right. Well, so, but we still haven't answered the question. What did you decide to grow like what did you decide that first year you're like this is what we're growing how did you pick well to be honest i we had a business plan Mm -hmm. um i don't know how sophisticated it necessarily was i think a lot of what we were doing honestly was like we love these things like we love these varieties of vegetables we love this whether that's a good business decision or not that's i think from what I remember, that's a lot of what we did. Passion we planted those is, things. But passion is a huge yeah. part of any and project. And we knew that we were going to be the ones, at least those first few years, really telling the story, bringing that food to market. So it needed to be things that we were excited about. And, and I, it's a cheesy you know, cliche, but to say that you stand on the shoulders of giants, I think we were really blessed again to, through um, Farmer Ron mm-hmm. down in Virginia, who is essentially on Sean's speed dial. <laughs> Does and Farmer then, Ron have a last name? When know, he was born, his, his, did his parents say, sure he looks like Farmer Ron to me. <laughs> we'll just say it's, it's worth it for you to bring your radio show down there to, to interview him. He's great. And then there's another gentleman. Okay, but wait, what farm is he from? So we know. <laughs> it's called the Green Market. The Green Market. Yeah. Okay, Farmer Ron from and the Green Market. And what is this dude's last name? If you, <laughs> All you got to do is ask for Farmer Ron. Come on. And we're not getting a last Come on, is it Glockenspiel? What is it, for God's sake? No, his last name's Holdren. Okay. Farmer Ron Holdren. Yeah. Okay. And the other gentleman, his name is Mark Israel, and he's just a gem in the area. He actually started the Potomac Village Farmer's Market. I think we know Mark. Yeah. And um, really, this uh, a story of the blessing was, you know, going over to his farm in, in the early mm. winter, and here's this guy who's been doing organic farming on an acre at, 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 or so yep. for, who knows, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And here comes these two young kids who know essentially nothing, and he's opening up gobs and gobs of seed catalogs and saying oh no don't plant that because even though it says it's good in this region you should plant this one because he's in our exact microclimate and he's been doing you know farmer's market forever so i would say that between ron and mark israel that we were really blessed um, to be to have pushed in the right direction right. i want to jump in and make sure that anybody who's joined in the middle understands we're talking about rockland's farm mm-hmm. which is in the middle of poolsville Poolsville, Maryland, which is only about a spit from Potomac, which is another spit from, you know, the, the White House. Mm-hmm. And these guys have built... Let's, let's just see. say D.C. It's let's a vineyard. It's a tasting room. It's cows and sheep and eggs. And you can have parties out there. And they've got dogs running know, around. You're, you're and, jumping ahead. Well, so I just want to make sure people understand. Okay, what, so now we've got a vegetable farm. And it's beginning to thrive. When do we add animals? Yeah, so in that first year, I I personally was not as interested in the produce side, the fruits and veggies. I had more, that was all Sean? That was mostly Sean. Okay. I, had, I had an interest in livestock. For me, I'd like to interact with things that interacted back with you, you know, that had a personality that could look at you. Um, so I think that first year, we probably had 50, you know, egg chickens. We had mm-hmm. a couple cows from when we first moved there. And within that first year, um, some of the other producers at the farmer's markets were selling meats. And so we were talking to them about, hey, I'd love to get some sheep. I'd love to get some pigs. Um, so we, we ended up going up visiting their farm and, and grabbing them. And, or not grabbing them, buying them. Right. Um, 
And then we had a small. I have this vision of you like <laughs> down the road at two stealing, o'clock in the morning, right, like stealing a sheep in the middle of the My night. My God, it's only a Fiat. You can't get a. Yeah. <laughs> no, so we just you know, and and I think that was for me. Um, as Sean mentioned in college, we didn't learn anything about husbandry or how to plant vegetables. It was mostly the business side of stuff. So, for me, I had I had very little background in animal husbandry, but I I personally enjoyed that sort of interaction and caught on to it really quickly. Let me okay. ask you a question about the flip side sure. of the interaction. So when you took those first animals off to be produced, did it kill you? Uh, yeah, I'd say even into today, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very moving day when you take your animals to slaughter. This is something that you've, for the most part, raised from conception, you know, all the way through to consumption. And you put all your effort into raising this animal well so it's happy and healthy Mm -hmm. and you always have in the back of your mind this the purpose of why i'm doing this is to feed people my community um but i think there's just a great um sense of reverence in that time so it could be really moving and and heartfelt but you're also feeling it's very purposed and connecting for people um and we we do our best to to make it a you know a happy I love the phrase from conception to consumption. That's that's a book. That's a hashtag is what it is. So um, how did you decide to be organic and sustainable? Because those are hard practices to incorporate into any farm. They're really tough. Yeah, I think uh, think from the beginning, um, one of the words that we've we've stuck with is a word of integrity. And... um, when it comes to growing practices and how you manage your crops, I think what we really wanted to do was to make sure we had clean food that was grown with integrity. Not to say that you know commodity or industrialized food isn't, but for us... Some of it isn't. We can sure. say that. Some of but, it absolutely isn't. So for us, what, what it meant was because we're, we're connecting with people through a handshake and a hello... Um, we wanted to stand by our food and, and to feel good about selling this to, you know, a mom with kids or someone like that. And we've been blessed with some relationships throughout the years of people who have um, kind of come back from cancer or have had, you know, very severe dietary changes where their doctors said, hey, you have to get grass-fed beef. And you meet these people with these stories of, wow, like, I'm so glad I found you because this food is is deeply nourishing to to my life, my well-being. And so... That reinforced it for us. I think from the very beginning, we never necessarily felt a need to become certified organic or certified humane, any of that, because we were fortunate to have the opportunity to share our story through a relationship, whereas a lot of farms who are certified organic are at a grocery store. You can never meet the farmer. You right. need that seal of approval. Um, so I, even until today, we're not, we're not adamant about pursuing these different certifications. We want to find the the best, most logical practice that also gives us opportunity to, to make the best craft of our harvest. Um, so that's I, I pretty heartfelt. I think that's very. We're going to take a break. Good. I was going to suggest that. We're going to bring Anna into this. We're going to talk about flowers, and then we're going to talk about wine because you guys also make your own wine. And I also want to talk about the growth of the farm and the event space because it sure. is literally spectacular this is david and nikki nellis industry night with foodie and the beast we're talking about a local farm you should get in on it we'll be right back the song you're listening to is bring a little love by keto that's k-i-e-d-o and you're tuned in to full service radio
That music is so not this show, but okay. Yeah, I don't know what music <laughs> our show is, but whatevs. All right, so we're back on Industry Night with Foodie and the Bees, David, Nikki, Nellis. We're talking to, uh, we're not really talking to Anna yet, but Greg and soon He's Anna. very Glenn. upset that we're not well, talking to you I want to get her in yet, on this, in and Sean um, about, about Rockland's Farm, which is the most amazing conglomerate of great stuff from wines to meats to eggs to to party space to flowers to wonderful dogs running around the whole thing and it all started really from you know it's like it sounds like almost like it was sitting there waiting for you to discover it so let's well let's for those let's talk just, about for those who are just tuning in i just want to say we just talked about sort of the progression of the farm how they started with um vegetables and produce and then moved on to have uh chickens and eggs and then uh livestock and then when did wine fit in? Because that's a total, that goes a totally different direction. When did you guys were like, yeah, we should plant some vines. They went Why to not? Home Depot and bought some vines, right? <laughs> what were yeah. you, like, do you know what I mean? That's a, that's sort of a non sequitur. I mean, these guys were sort of yeah. stumbling their way towards success. <laughs> and I'm surprised you didn't plant pliers and hammers too. Right? Yeah. You. So when we first moved there, my dad, you know, his little side of the green thumb, um, he loves orcharding and taking care of trees and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so for him, he initially bought a couple vines from Home Depot. Um, just oh wait, to, seriously from Home yeah, Depot? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just to try his. I wasn't hand. making that up. I was like, wait, you can buy vines at Home Depot. Wait a minute, I read this stuff and you didn't. You're bad. <laughs> yeah. So he he just really, you know, I wouldn't say. He's a wine, a wino, or you know, someone that drinks tons of wine. But he just—he thought it was just incredible well, that he could grow. We found him staggering around the back forty in his underwear, but <laughs> no, but just someone that you know just really valued the 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 farming side and growing a crop and then turning it through craftsmanship into mm. something that you can enjoy in a common you know setting around the table. So for him, he started with just a couple grape vines. Um, I think he would attest that he failed miserably for the first five or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's only because vines really need time to really sink into the ground. Yeah, you know, it takes yeah. some time for them to, to marinate. Yes, exactly. I mean, Better he, word than he marinate. He also had a full-time job, so he could only do this on the mm-hmm. weekends. And farming, you kind of need really in-tune detail. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was... Um, Probably, uh, Sean could answer the specific date, but within the first year or two when the farm started, uh, my dad, I'm not exactly sure how he met TJ, our current winemaker, but TJ was a, a middle school science teacher just down the street from us. Okay. Who I think my dad met playing pickup basketball and just invited out one afternoon and said, hey, would you like to come to this vineyard and... You this know, is also you have a Forrest Gumpy. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody just sort of meets and you meet... Did you guys know Elvis? Right, <laughs> Farmer Rod or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so TJ, who I think has you know very little wine background at all, came out as this middle school science teacher who would just help him you know prune and pick and just be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And the first year or so, they they actually were able to create a harvest and they had something and we mashed it and made it into something that turned out like wine. Um, and then the following year, they did the same thing. They did buy in a couple grapes um, from around, and we made we made a, a bottle of wine and a, 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 a label of wine. And then we had, we had our customer base there, so we just would let them try it. Say, hey, do you like this wine? And they all liked it, you know, for your first round. Because they, now you they have didn't go blind, and they but now <laughs> you have a whole. T- I mean, the wine alone is it's an entire business. I mean, you have a How many acres are under, uh, are are growing vines now? Yeah, so we just finished planting three more acres. So now we have nine acres of vineyard. So how many cases will that produce? Ish. Right now? Or in the the future? Yeah. Yeah. Fully through. Full maturity, you're going to get about 180 cases per acre. So So it'll be about 1,000 cases, a little over 1,000 cases. And how many different wines? You are a boutique vineyard. How many different wines? We, we produce 20 wines right now, uh, 20 different labels. That's so a lot. White, red, rosé. We make a little cider as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you brought in some here. So like the white you just poured, the spring house. Mm-hmm. What's the grape varietal in that? So th- this is a hybrid grape. You see a lot of these hybrid grapes pop up in the Mid-Atlantic uh, because of the disease pressure. And they're more cold tolerant. If you guys remember the, the winter vortex a few years ago, we actually lost a lot of our vinifera vines, which are these more recognized. We nearly lost our lives. Yeah, like yes. your Merlot, your, <laughs> right. your Malbec, things like that. 
those uh, aren't quite as cold hardy. So this is, this is Chardonnay. It's mm -hmm. a hybrid of Chardonnay, as okay. you would expect. Um, and that's what we use to make Springhouse. It's delicious. I mean, it's... It, you can't compare it to a Chardonnay. Listen to Sean talk now. You learned a lot in a couple of years, didn't <laughs> but you? So it's, it's Sauvignon Blanc. Do mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's got a great minerality. Where do you guys put it in steel, I assume? Yeah, 100% in steel. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our whites don't see any oak at all. We just have two, wine, two, two whites that go into barrels. Is this all okay. on the property? So this is a mix of estate grapes and then... No, but I mean the actual production. Oh, yeah. The 100% of the production is on site, 100%. And the grapes for this wine... Uh, are partially a state and then partially a mile up the road. There's a vineyard that grows this this grape. And we so get from TJ okay. quit being a teacher and became a wine dude. Yep, wow. he he, he came on full time I believe in 2014. Okay, and it's kind of been history from there. I mean, we we started <laughs> our first it? our first it real vintage kids. was uh, 700 cases of wine. Wow. Uh, now we make 4,500 cases a year. And That's that, that so about cases fifty thousand bottles. That seven hundred cases was made in the basement of the main estate house. You go down there, you can still see the big stain. red house. Yeah, you okay. Can still see stains Wait a minute, how many cases do you make a year? We make forty five hundred cases. Well, that's what I was asking before. You because uh, I was asking it's how many. hundred. So yeah. Cases so break. we grow we grow about twenty five percent of the. Oh, grapes. and then you're buying buy, other grapes. Exactly. Buy grapes. Okay, yeah. We you. don't buy in wine. We buy in grapes. So we partner with. Um, usually about four vineyards in Maryland. You know, we try to get gotcha. to work with the same ones every mm -hmm. year. There's been some weather uh, struggles recently, but um, yeah. So, what kind of distribution do you have? I mean, where do you buy Rockland's wines? Well, at the, the farm. The good. Duh. We're yeah. we're almost about 99 percent from membership? the tasting room. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. Wow. Right out. Do you the front have a membership door. too? Do we you do. do membership. Yeah, we really want to make sure that gets out there. It's our wine club. We call it our cellar club. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like a wine CSA. Yes. Um, and so we, it's a quarterly subscription, and you get a discounted price. You get other benefits, like we throw an annual cellar club party. One of our buddies is uh, an iron chef, and mm -hmm. he's going to be doing the food for us this year. Fun. Um, and so, so yeah, there's a lot of perks. We had about 600 members in that right now. And, yeah, and we also ship to 10 states. So if you're not in the area, you can still sign up for the Cellar Club. Well, I think we should explain to people, and, I mean, Anna, I'm going to bring you in on this since it is called Anna's Rosé, so I feel like we can bring her in. But the tasting room, which is in the lower half of the barn where the, all the big events are, um, I mean, you guys have music out there during the weekends. There's always, like, a food truck out there, and then you can buy cheese and all sorts of Meat things. And, I mean, you know, everything. I mean, so yeah. how... How did you guys figure that whole component out? Was it just people were like, hey, this is what we want? Um, well, I mean, as the farm grew, we just ran out of space. So okay. We started down by the mailbox the first couple of years. There was a flood in 2012, so we had to move up to the corn crib. And um, then we moved up to this little market, which is now Anna's flower shop. Um, so that's what, so the, your flower shop. Is what? where uh, you call it the corn crib, but that's where like you guys used to sell the meat and produce big, out of, right? It's like a big open barn. Yes. Right. Okay. And we had right next to Anna's flower shop is what we call the blacksmith shop. This little, you know, eight foot by twelve foot stone building, right? Which was where we did the original wine tastings, and you could fit about six people in there. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's that open barn across from that with all the. Uh, that's where I always see the three year old birthday yeah, parties. That's the corn crib. Okay, that's then, the corn crib. And then the very large barn where we do weddings upstairs and the tasting room downstairs. That was, um, you know, when we started the farm for the first four years, we had pigs and chickens. And it was, it's just a working lower run of a barn built on a hillside. There's stables. But it's so pretty. I mean, you guys did oh, such beautiful. a beautiful job. Yeah, so you take, the, you take the beautiful historic bones of something and you try right. to repurpose that. You didn't screw it up by, by over-modernizing over the thing. Yeah, and I think one testament to kind of our brand and the ethos that we have here is, is really promoting the preserved heritage of the structures on the property. And so you walk into this place and you feel the life of it. These are hand-hewn beams from the 1800s. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, hand-stacked uh, Seneca sandstone, the same stone you find in the Sino Canal in the Smithsonian, harvested right over the hillside. So mm -hmm. um, it's all right there. The whole the whole feeling within the taste room is this incredible experience. All right, so now, history. how did you guys meet? And when did you start doing flowers? Yes. I mean, I can't think of anything else you guys could do except put in a carousel. Right. <laughs> so. We met actually right the first year of the farm. Greg and I 
uh, were introduced by his aunt. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was a setup. It was a setup. Sucker. Excellent. I lived in Kenya, and he was just starting the farm, and we started writing emails uh, because we were set up. That's and so cute. we fell in love writing emails. It's kind of like Match.com, sort of. Don't kind you of, which would be something I would be isn't like, there like a, Isn't there like a find a farmer? Isn't that a... I think there's like a farmer like bumble right. or something like is. that. But anyway, go it, ahead. It would be more accurate to say that we fell in love writing letters overseas because they weren't like little Snapchat emails. This was, you know, this is what I'm doing with my life. Mm-hmm. This is what you're doing with your life. And we didn't have any small talk or we didn't look at Facebook pictures and stuff like that. It was really kind of an old style way of getting to know each other so that's amazing so you guys wind up together you're from the west I'm coast from the west coast mm-hmm. pacific northwest and he drags me back from kenya says don't drag. farm over there key forever keyword drag <laughs> you're gonna come live with me uh-huh. and i was like yeah i do i do want to so we got married um shortly after we met we really were only dating for a couple months before he asked me to marry him uh-huh. and at that point, that was 2011 is when we got married. Actually, today is our anniversary, seven oh, years. Oh, happy anniversary. And so I jumped in. I, was, I studied teaching, but I always knew that I didn't really want to be in the classroom. And mm-hmm. so they had started doing field trips the first year they were even farming, bringing kids out from the city, um, planting carrots and all that. And I loved that. So I jumped in with them and said, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get this teaching job. I'm going to stay here and so I started here farm camps and field trips and actually right now we're in the middle of a farm camp where kids come out and they plant vegetables and we teach them how to butcher a chicken and cook food and all that Shut kind of stuff up. swim the creek it's legit. It's legit yeah they call it the wait, Ozzy, wait, wait. the Ozzy Osbourne wait segment. wait wait back yeah. up so kids can come out to camp like is it a week-long camp it's a week-long camp we're in the middle of one right now right. and then we have four more this summer and there's still well, spots what's available the web okay so wait no 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 so I, I need to know the day-to-day to this. Like, what's the age range? What do they um, do? It's eight and up. Okay. We also have some specific ones for middle school coming mm-hmm. up in July. Mm-hmm. The best part about it is there isn't too much of an agenda. You're just there being a kid. It's kind of like how we raise our animals. It's... Um, well, kids are like it. You get to do wait, what you were created but, to do best. Anna, do you slaughter the kids at the end of it? Or no? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Okay, right. just making sure. You That's just one part me. of it that we really value. I got a couple you might want to. <laughs> <laughs> we really value teaching kids where their food comes from and really showing them that it takes life um, to feed you and... So that's a really important part of well, it. Well, I think developing appreciation for that is such a priority, um, especially kids who are raised in suburbia or raised in the city who don't um, understand. I mean, they may know cognitively that it's an animal, but having gratitude and appreciation for a living thing that is now on your plate is so important. And I well, think it's really hard to teach it. It's hard to associate when you go into the fridge and open, you know, quote unquote, the meat drawer and there's prosciutto and there's ham and there's turkey all sliced up there's no connection to the animal yeah so reverence is the word we like to use to really connect people with this deep sense of respect and Mm -hmm. wonder and beyond the livestock it's also with the vegetables you know the kids we pull a carrot out of the ground dust it off and take a bite or we'll pick off a piece of kale and the kids will say wow i've never had something like this this is incredible and so it's connecting kids to their food source and We've just been so inspired by, by young people that we've come in contact with. They have such a capacity to understand and to appreciate just the value of life and the value of community and why farming is important. And so the education program we have at Rocklands just really helps connect kids with that. And we, we have a number of schools from D.C. that, that come out regularly. Well, I was going to say, our, our niece does urban farming. She's in Oakland now, but she was in, the, in, in Bed-Stuy for years, with, you know, old vacant lots and they turn them into gardens and all that and kids have who've been eating processed foods all their lives from convenience stores have no idea where you know where, where first of all they don't eat fresh produce but they don't know where it comes from so Anna and inst- not just is it Anna or Anna it's Anna Anna okay sorry Anna works for me so <laughs> I have a girl named Anna she I think it sounds me. more cultured to say <laughs> Anna anyways anyway, don't you so Anna's Anna and other cultures I'm used to that right it's okay, okay. so um you're, not only are you putting together basically the structure of these camps, but you also have developed this flower business. So can you talk about what that looks like and how you got into that component 
and this is yet another thing that the farm offers like was it because they started doing weddings and you're like we should be growing flowers or was there something else well it kind of started a long time ago for me growing up um in Bremerton and Bainbridge Island Washington there's all these dahlia farms there that you can just go cut dahlias and my mom would take me to a dahlia farm every year on my birthday in August and I just fell in love with dahlias, these flowers that come in all sizes and colors. And what day in August is your birthday? August 15th. Oh, you're a Leo. <laughs> and Join us. We're Virgos. <laughs> I'm not. He is. <laughs> I also just have a, just a passion for f- making flower bouquets and making things beautiful. And so I've always done that wherever I've lived in college, in the dorms, just, you know, grab something outside. and. So you and I were cooking and she was arranging the floral. Yeah, you just for us. make the table pretty. Yes, yeah, so I was just washing dishes. How did you? How were you able to say to them, "I need this piece of property for flowers"? Because you have, I assume, grazing fields, and then you have your produce fields, and then you have your vine fields. How did you get a spot of land for flowers? Well, we do have enough land, but the first time that I got some land, it was the reject land that the vegetables said was too wet and they wouldn't use it. <laughs> so uh, it dried out by this July. Like a, this there's some like anger a, in there. There's some, that sounds like a three bears. Yeah. Yeah. Goldilocks and the three bears. It, it dried up by July and so I planted um, just a cut flower wildflower mix the first year. This is probably 2011. Uh-huh. And Did you just leave it to God to water it or did you go out and... Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. I actually still don't use irrigation. Um, but anyways, started growing flowers. Janice, my mother-in-law, who does all the property and weddings, she has a real knack for flowers and perennials. And so I would just go around and cut things and make beautiful bouquets for, we'd sell it at the market a little bit and decorate for our dinners. And I just love making flowers. I can't help it. I can't stop. But now you have a full business. Now I have a full business, which just kind of grew out of, um, the fact that we had weddings every weekend. Right. And... So I started doing some of the florals for them, and then it got um, word got spread, and I offered it to a lot more brides. And now uh, Sun Gold Flower Company it's has arise from that. It's got so. a beautiful Instagram feed. Look at yes. us. And I have a partner, Caitlin Robinson. Okay, hi, Caitlin. And um, so, yeah. Well, what do you do in the winter when there are no flowers? She doesn't. I don't. You it's sit around seasonal, and eat bonbons? It's a seasonal business. They have three kids. So right, busy. she's busy. It's like, Gregory, get me some wine. <laughs> it's like Alaska crab fishing. <laughs> really hard in the summer and take off, the winter. Take off in the winter. Right. So when somebody is doing an event at Rockland, so you can go, I'm just going to tell people because we've had our own experiences there. You can go out. You can do a wine tasting. You can meander around on a weekend. There's bands there. You always bring in like a a food truck or some sort of food source. Yeah, we have a wood-fired pizza vendor, yeah. Pizza yeah. Brahma, who is uh, a local fantastic wood-fired pizza vendor. He stodged at a lot of high-end restaurants here in D.C. before starting his business. So he's out there uh, during the summer, yeah, spring, summer, fall. Yeah, you do those half-smokes, and that yeah. the half-smoke and a wine is like... It's pretty good. The, it's the bomb. Um, and then, but for those people who are interested in doing, like if you have this idyllic vision of your wedding or a party with this beautiful barn with strewn lights, it's exactly everything you can envision. It's exactly what you look like. So uh, what it looks like, and you can look at Rockland's on Instagram because your Instagram feed is fabulous and you have great pictures of what's going on there. But who do people use for food? And do you do people have to use your wine or you want them to use your wine? Like, how does, how does all that part work? And flowers. Do they have to use you as flowers or they can't? They can, but almost everybody does. Everybody does. Absolutely. Yeah, we work with uh, a caterer. It really is at this point essentially our in-house caterer, Simply Fresh Events. Okay. So they kind of know all the nuances of the place. As you can imagine, with you know, 150-year-old property, there's a lot of like ins and outs. It's not your traditional right. you know, banquet hall. Um, so, th- so there are cater on site, and then um, you know you can you can um, you know bring on other vendors a la carte. But mm-hmm. we, you know we, we try to make just to accommodate because every event's a little bit different, and sure. everyone has their vision for what what's they your want. what's your max crowd? Yeah, so if uh, occasionally you'll get a you can do a tent with the with the main barn hall, and you can get about two hundred people there. So okay. that would be like our capacity. But most of the events usually hover between eighty and one hundred and twenty. I can't tell you how many people I've sent your website to because I'm like, 
I would like to get married Thank here. You. So instead, we both we both got married there, so we, we can recommend I mean, it personally. Right? Like, you know what? Let's you? well, let's do it again. You'd be doubly lucky, right, doubly blessed. Exactly. And I'll just I'll, I'll chime in, but uh, so the entire wedding side of the business was started by my mom, and mm-hmm. she currently still runs it. And in 2005, my sister got married on the property, and I think that was the first time my mom realized that this is a really beautiful place with just great potential. And so slowly from 2005 on, she. You know, a couple friends here and there got married, and um, I don't know, maybe 2012, 2013 is when she really mm-hmm. ramped up marketing it as a place to come and get married, and so right. she's really developed a, a fabulous part of our of our enterprise. Without a doubt, I mean, you know, when you go there during the day, just for a wine tasting or to hang out, um, you know, pick up some dinner for that night, and you see probably Anna and your mom setting up for a, an event that evening. I mean, it's really magical looking. And I, you know, anybody who's standing there is like, I wish I was invited to this event tonight. I mean, it looks fabulous. I mean, it's just, it's very idyllic. But what do you do if it rains? Because I mean, I know you have the barn, but like a lot of times you have tables set outside, like dining out, you know, out dining in the field. So Tent this it. has been uh, the whole saga of this entire wedding season. So almost right. every Saturday, it's, it's rained. rained or almost rained. So um, the catering company, Simply Fresh, is just an incredible uh, team who works with the couples to make it the best day possible. So they move chairs in the last minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not going to rain. Okay, let's let's do it outside. We got <laughs> it. Or we'll set up in two places. But the rain plan, which actually Sean had a beautiful wedding. Um, it was raining. And the rain plan is mostly you have your ceremony in the barn, and it's beautiful. So mm-hmm. you just make it work. They're happy either way. I would just say, I mean, again, like that, that's just a testament to the team at Rocklands is that your experience is just so intimate and so wonderful that everyone involved in serving you is just so passionate about making it a great time. So between my mom or Simply Fresh Events or our, our staff at Rocklands, um, I feel like, you know, most everyone has this, this incredible experience of, of intimacy. It just feels like you're with family. Well, I was going to say, it sounds a like a family, family affair. I want to make sure people understand, because when we talk about places like yours, they're usually, you know, 60 or 90 minutes outside the Beltway. If no, you're from not. Maryland, you know River Road. If you're from Virginia and you've ever traveled the Beltway, you know River Road. You just yeah. drive outside the Beltway for about 20 minutes. River Road dead ends. You take a left and your second right, I think. Takes you. Yeah, there's that little grocery you, you, store. You, you go past, no, you go past the place where the grocery store is, and you go to the next right, and you just take that right, and and you can't miss it. it you can't miss it, and it's we're, it, we're in the flight path of Dulles Airport. You could Dulles just Airport. follow a plane, <laughs> I suppose. Okay, before wanted. we wrap this up, I want to talk about the rosé you poured okay. because it's well, it's Anna's, but um, oh, tell me about the rosé. Sure. So this is a wild fermented rosé. We call it Anna's rosé. So there's a nice little picture. Because she's wild, like her wildflowers, right? right? Yeah. So um, and Anna's sister actually did the art for the label. It's a woodcut. So if you can show the label. Yes. Um, All of our labels are designed by Heather and Sam Saki. Um, Psyche. Sorry. Um, Anna, Anna, come on. You gotta yeah. dig in deep into the sake psyche. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is a this is a dry rosé. So we're kind of channeling, you know, like that southern French provincial rosé mm-hmm. style here. Um, all done in tank. It's direct press. So that's essentially we take the red grapes. This mm-hmm. is mostly Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. We throw them right in the press. Direct press. So it just picks up a little bit of color from the skins. And then um, yes, yeah, he's about a four month aging, and it's just a fresh, you know, spring summer. Right, delicious it's, drink it's been eight years does it ever blow your mind how much you've learned in eight years oh yeah for sure absolutely i mean why even bother going to college the hell with it no. can, I, can i tell a quick story so sean and i are in france this winter doing a little research are you just for bragging the about the fact that you went to france this i'm bragging winter? about sean okay okay <laughs> so we invited our friend clay to join us who was supposed to be the interpreter and so here are sean clay and i at these wine festivals um and Clay immediately was rendered obsolete because he just was totally surpassed by Sean. Sean is here with these guys selling a three-star Michelin restaurant, you know, wines. Mm-hmm. And Sean is here toe-to-toe with these guys talking about knowing this guy, knowing this grape. In you know, French this. or in English? 
A little bit of both. A little yeah. bit of both. Mon and Dieu, mon ami. I just would say. That's I, it. I that's was, all he's got. No, that's not true. Oh, <laughs> we could say we. Oué la toilette. No, but Sean was just, you know, this is Sean's game. He just, he knows the product. He knows the process. He knows the ethos around it. And I think Sean just really has a knack for for just great wine. And one last testament just to his style and his approach, which I think which bleeds well into Rocklands, is... Um, we were we were at one of these guys' places, and he he identified himself as a sixth generation peasant farmer, and his methodology he's making these really high end products, and his methodology is look I'm just I'm I'm keeping with the integrity of the process, and I just make I just I do it how it's supposed to be made I do it well, mm-hmm. and so there's nothing pretentious about what he's doing or what we're trying to do, nothing about Sean's background, but. It's really just having this honest approach to just really well done things. And it's very approachable. It's very um, communal. It's just something that you can really enjoy and be a part of and not have to be specialized. That's a pretty way. story, but I saw him get out of a Bentley when he arrived. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's what we want. That Bentley aside. That, that's, that's what we want people to experience when they come out to Rocklands is not to have this there, there's no error about it. There's no, uh, you know, it's not snooty. Yeah, there's no snootiness well, at all. It's you come, you come in shorts and t-shirt if you want. It doesn't matter. Just come, have a good time, enjoy the wine, and we hope you like it. And uh-huh. and it's meant to be enjoyed with friends and over hopefully a nice wood-fired pizza. Well, and I do want to say for people who have children, it's a fabulous place to bring kids. Um, you have. Uh, I hate the name of the game. What's it called where you throw Corn the beanbags? Yeah, hole. that's a stupid name for a game. I'm just saying. Uh, so you have that set up and kids are running around and you have dogs and it's just this. Um, I think you need a Bernese Mountain Dog and a, and a and great, great pure mix. <laughs> <laughs> Not ours, but somebody else's. Um, no, but it's just this. Everything you guys are talking about today um, is we, felt when you're there. Like, there's no... Well, when we've talked to other farmers, too, it's... Yes, we have. We've talked to a lot of farmers. This is what they're... Tra- this is what they're... Re- I mean, some of them have achieved it, too, but it's what they're reaching for. Well, except I don't know how many farmers are trying to be all things to all people. I mean, you guys... You guys are like walking into a restaurant with a really large menu because you have livestock, you do produce, you have event space, and you do wine and flowers. But you know what? When we go there, we buy a snack, we get a glass of wine, we go home with meats. I know, but I'm just saying, outside looking in, that's a lot. I mean, inside looking out, that's a lot. You're offering a lot of things. We didn't go home with flowers. We're in trouble now. Anna's looking at you like, I'll get you. But you guys are doing an awful lot, and it's hard to do so many things really well. And it's fascinating that that's what you're doing. Thank you. All right, let's tell everybody where it is, online and in the real world. Okay, so um, you can follow us on various social media outlets, mainly Instagram and Facebook, at Rocklands Farm. That's Rocklands with an S, farm, no S. We're at Rocklands Farm, MD, like Maryland, or if you're a doctor, doctor, like MD. Exactly. (laughs) We're still waiting for that farm in England to turn over their domain. So wait, is it, but it's Rocklands Farm. Farm, not farms, because that's correct. An There's S only on one a farm. farm is no, no, no. There's a whole thing about well, farm about, yeah, versus yeah, yeah. farms. Yep, so singular we get it. farm, right. farm singular. You are a farm. We and, totally get it. And like you guys mentioned, we're about uh, 40 minutes from the White House, 20 minutes from the Beltway, DC. just a straight shot mm-hmm. up River Road. Um, do, do you sell any of your meats at the um, uh, market at River Falls? No, we just sell it on the farm. We oh, sell our funny. wines there, though. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. In Potomac. They're a sponsor of our radio show, too. How about that? Not this one, the other one. The other one. (laughs) All right, you want to wrap this baby up? Well, yeah, I mean, this has been great. This this place happens to be, for a variety of reasons, uh, one of my favorite places around here to go to, and I'm really jealous. And I'm so glad we can sort of share it with everybody. Yes, I'm glad. I'm also jealous, but (laughs) I can live with that. Right. To a degree. So, Thanks. All right, so we Go want to out thank to Rockland's you. Farm. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you all for joining us today. We want thank to thank you. all of you for uh, listening today. Um, sometimes on Industry Night, we really get to d- discuss things that we're passionate about, too, and Rockland's Farm is definitely one of them. So uh, definitely take the ride. It's worth it, and there are areas where you can get the wine and ask lots of questions of your farmer. And actually, you one other thing. If you're listening okay, to interrupt this... Me. I will. I'd mm-hmm. love to. Okay. This goes out all over the world. If you're coming to D.C. and you're thinking about places to visit, you've got the monuments, you've got the museums, but in 25, 30 minutes, you can be at Rockland's Farm and be in a whole other world. So. Right. Take a road trip. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Everybody have a delicious week. Da, 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 da.
listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.